ignorant in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. We made it, folks. We made it to Saturday. The week is behind us, and we are here on Saturday, high noon time on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod, where we come to you Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays, noontime Eastern. And I'm excited today because the American Radicals podcast is continuing on in our Animal Farm book study. It's been a heck of a week, folks. We we really, we had a lot happen, especially probably in the last 24, 48 hours I want to get right to it because we want to touch on a couple of these things before we get to the book study. And I know you guys are following along. We're seeing the chat that that you guys did the reading and are excited to get to it. But before we start, let's bring on my fellow compatriot, Garrett O'Boyle at GOB Actual joins me. He uh, Did you get much sleep? Because I think you were working your fingers to the bone on the merch store. Uh, If you want to give the fans an update (laughs) on what happened yesterday, it's for those who don't know. Yeah, so uh, no, not a lot of sleep and um, lots of forced labor ahead of me today, tomorrow, probably the rest of the week. But yeah, I saw some people in the chat uh, reference it a little bit, but our friend, fellow suspendable Steve Baker, turned himself over to the FBI Stasi yesterday, and he wore a suspendable lapel pin, which I got to meet him last week in person. Uh, for the first time at CPAC. And I met him and Joe Hanneman, another another friend of ours, who I, I actually have met Joe in person before, but um, I met them at a restaurant in the hotel uh, before our, our panel. And I gave them both a pin. And then a couple hours later, I ran into them again. And Steve had been notified by his attorneys that the FBI were charging him and that he was to self-surrender yesterday, which he did. And he proudly wore a suit instead of flip-flops and shorts as the Gestapo agents wanted him to wear. And uh, on his suit, he had a suspendable lapel pin. And then Glenn Beck referenced it on his program, well, multiple programs yesterday. And uh, yeah, it's been my phone, because I have a Shopify app on there, it was just lighting up all day. And again today, uh, it's uh, it's going to be a while. Uh, yeah, public service announcement, the-suspendables.com is open for business, but it may take a little while for you to get your pins. We actually have Lucy uh, working on packaging pins right now. If you don't know, that's our youngest. She's only 18 months old. I don't think she even has the requisite motor skills to do it, but uh, nonetheless, the other girls are trying to train her up in the way of the suspendables. So, yeah, but while you're there, lots of pins have been have been going, but uh, some other things too. We still have shirts. We still have some Ranger panties. I did get a message about some of those being out of stock, so I ordered more. And yeah, still swing in, grab a shirt, grab a pin, grab a sticker pack, whatever. But the pins, they are gangbusters right now. I mean, I thought I was busy a couple weeks before Christmas. Not like this. So it's insane. But It's only it. going to get better too because for those who don't know, 9.34 Eastern Time Monday, I will be on with Glenn Beck on radio. That audience is, I think it's the third biggest radio audience in America. So I will make sure to 
plug the dash dismantables.com and uh, you get to get the whole family involved so that's exciting news uh you, you know, know I um when we testified you remember when and I, I think we have it in our opening when i said uh, this government will crush you <laughs> they certainly will as steve baker can attest to as you and i can attest to but uh the support and the love of the people out there is crushing the store and you know what that's a type of crushing we willingly accept but it it may take you it may take a few extra days or maybe even weeks uh, to get all of the orders caught up so it's it's wild i mean we live in a glitch in the matrix so very bizarre one that honestly it could turn on its head at any moment and uh fbi swat or hrt could be showing up at our doors at 6 a.m too which Oh, what a what a, what a time to be alive, Steve! It, it's crazy times indeed. Um, before we start on the book study, uh, I do want uh, hopefully the audience can indulge me on this, uh, and it relates to yesterday's goings ons with Steve Baker, who's friend of all of ours, just uh, an honorable man, and and really uh, under a lot of pressure at this point. And there was a lot of sympathetic media who reported on what uh, his trials and tribulations are. It's completely unjust being charged with four misdemeanor crimes and the FBI completely weaponized against a journalist is absurd. And the people who are doing it are the worst amongst us. Uh, Special Agent Craig Noyes, who works for the Raleigh Resident Agency for FBI Charlotte. I hope you lose everything. I hope your family disowns you. I hope you wind up penniless and indigent and begging on a street corner like a leper. Uh, but if you don't, you can burn in the lake of fire forever for what you were willing to do to your fellow human being. Um, and I have someone else that I, I do want to hold accountable for what uh, was put out last night. And it's someone who is uh, allegedly a journalist who Steve Baker has actually defended to me because I, I have quite a bit of distaste for uh, Mr. Ryan J. Riley from NBC. Mr. Ryan J. Riley is a complete simp for tyranny. He's written this book, uh, but with the uh, the sedition hunters, and he he's all in for the persecution that's been going on, and he's gone after all of us, myself included. He has dark magic though, because he he referenced my book, uh, and it went to number one when he did that. So thanks for that, Ryan. Um, it was in a hit piece, and I, I just have no love lost for the man. And Steve Baker knows him pretty well, has dined with him, has had conversations with him because they've been in the same sort of uh, courtroom atmospheres for a lot of these January 6th cases. And Steve's defended him. He said, look, he's he's a nice guy. He's misguided on some of the stuff, but just, you know, he, he's easy to get along with, family man. Um, and then Ryan J. Riley took that trust, like so many of the people that we trusted, and betrayed it and put out an article to criticize Steve Baker, who, again, he's dined with and I... I Steve considers himself a friends with and Ryan betrayed that and put an article out that was uh, pretty offensive. And I want to pull that up. So it, it is a ridiculous picture of Steve and it says a musician and libertarian writer who works for the blaze arrested on January six charges. The subtitle says Steve Baker who led a David Bowie tribute band and started working for Glenn Beck's website in 2023 said he 100% approved of the capital attack. The FBI said, so they cited the F Ryan J. Riley cited the FBI, who's not Steve himself. So I'm going to spare everyone reading through the article because it's not worth your time. Uh, I don't want to drive any traffic to it. Uh, but I do want to uh, cite what is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, because it was something that I talked about last night on, on social media. And social media is fake. I get it. But uh, it's the only outlet that a lot of us have. 
and I, I want to uh, to read what is my one of my favorite all time quotes. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride and cynicism. There are many men who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There are no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty, whether an achievement or in the noble effort, which even if it fails, comes second to achievement. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the, where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who actually the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows the end, the triumph of high achievements, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Steve Baker is a man in the arena. That's what that speech is. That's Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Baker is a man in the arena. It's a man of honor. And Ryan J. Riley is someone who goes through life with a sneer. He doesn't deserve to drink human excrement through Steve Baker's sweaty jockstrap. He is the detestable, contemptible version of what our media has become. You think you hate the media? You don't hate them enough. And Ryan J. Riley can continue to squeeze into his Joseph A. Bank discount suits that can't hide his neck fat or his man boobs because he is a disgraceful human being. And I know that we're supposed to be beyond this as a civilized gentleman. If I have the opportunity to physically confront Ryan J. Riley, it's not gonna go well for him. So I'll leave that as it is. And you know, if you wanna contribute to that, you can feel free. I'm sorry to sort of monopolize our time, but uh, no. that's weighing on my no. heart heavily. No, this is, this is important. Uh, I was talking with Heidi this morning. And she actually said, you know, with everything that's happened this week, especially with yesterday with Steve, are you guys even going to talk about Animal Farm? And I was like, well, we plan to, but, it, you know, we, th this is some heavy and important housekeeping that we have to address. We, we, we must. We'd be remiss not to, to, to use the platform we have to shine a light on this. I saw that MSNBC article last night, and I was... I, I couldn't even, I was like, okay, I'm going to tweet, I'm going to put a tweet out there. What I couldn't even come up with something um, eloquent or correct enough to refute the mental gymnastics that Ryan Riley had to use to come up with even that title, musician and libertarian. You are a joke. You are a scourge to the First Amendment, Ryan J. Riley, a scourge, and you should be ashamed. You are a pitiful human being. I have the man in the arena on my wall, a friend of mine. Once I graduated from Quantico, uh, I've known this guy for many years. He knows uh, all about my background himself. He deployed to Afghanistan right after I did to the same province even, or it might've been one right, right next to it, but you know, very similar. And he gave that to me when I graduated from Quantico and uh, 
you nailed it, Steve. Steve Baker is the man in the arena for this time. We saw the videos of him getting marched around in handcuffs, paraded around, disgraced, taken before a judge for some pathetic misdemeanor charges. We saw the video, too, of Steve in the Capitol, hanging back, writing in his notebook like a journalist does, a true journalist following the story. It's, uh, yeah, it's beyond words. And I've been thinking of, of, of this a lot, too. And uh, I tweeted some what are called imprecatory psalms the other day in regards to Steve. And those are basically psalms where David pleads with, with God for vengeance on his enemies, on his pursuers, and wants God to intervene on his behalf. And another area that I, I found that is imprecatory in nature is in Jeremiah 20, and it starts in verse 11. It says, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. I just love that phrase, as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who test the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. And whether it's in this world or the next, these evildoers like Ryan Riley, these evildoers like these agents and the U.S. Marshals and all the people involved in the FBI and the Marshal Service and the DOJ, all of them, God will have his vengeance one day or the next. So get your get your life straight with him. I pray that all these wicked people do. That really is the prayer of my heart, that they turn to Christ and realize the error of their ways, the sinful nature by which they treat their fellow man. It will it will be part of their eternal judgment for what they are doing, for the destruction that they are causing, for the lies that they are telling. And for the lies and and evilness that they are doing to someone like Steve Baker. And there are other people too that this wickedness has befallen. And God is gracious and loving, but when that grace runs out, he is just, and that vengeance will be swift, and it will lead to your eternal destruction. So I do pray that someone like Ryan Riley fixes his soul. He turns to Christ. He realizes the truth, and that he repents of his error. He doesn't deserve the respect that someone like Steve Baker actually gives him behind the scenes. If he only knew that... Uh, Maybe I mean, he doesn't seem to have a very uh, much of a conscience or a soul at this point, um, but uh, maybe he should know that that behind the scenes, Steve Baker actually treats him and speaks very highly of him. Right. Yeah. Which you is know, more about Steve than than uh, than sure. Ryan Riley could ever aspire to achieve yeah. in his piddling, pathetic existence as human excrement. Who, yeah. uh, who I wouldn't scrape off the bottom of my shoe. Uh, with a penny if I stepped on gum. Ryan Dre Riley is basically at that level. So yeah. that's where we're at on him. Uh, folks, we want to make sure, we, though, we get back to the the topic that we, we had previously scheduled. We want to keep on the, the book schedule. I mean, I've actually enjoying Animal Farm. Uh, I want to make Me sure too. we discuss it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was a heavy week, especially it was a heavy Friday, I think, for all of us. Uh, and, and we appreciate you allowing us to indulge our uh, our emotional outlets here. And we can get back to the intellectual right now and make sure that uh, we're, we're feeding your minds here as well as your emotions. So 
let's get to it. Let's get to Animal Farm, Chapter 5, Chapter 6. A lot happens in the plot of the story. Um, I, I have a list of things that uh, I definitely want to get to. Uh, I think that we just kind of go through them sequentially the best we can. I'm sure that you and I have picked out different things. But uh, as we go, I think the first thing got to talk about is the, the way that Chapter 5 opens up. And essentially, Molly, the air-headed horse, defects from the animal farm. And the the rationale behind defecting, I think you know, everybody has the idea of like the Yuri Bezmenov, who is this great Titan intellectual thinker who came and left the Soviet Union and defected uh, to the United States and talked about how the Marxists were infiltrating and they had this hundred year plan to take over. Um, sometimes it's not the case. I mean, Molly just wants the creature comforts. And what struck me about the Molly situation was she just wants sugar and ribbons and wants to be taken care of by a farmer, doesn't want to really think too hard about the cause. And the way that uh, actual defection looks is is not the Yuri Bezmenov, it's the Molly. Uh, and it's not necessarily a, through official channels. It's not like a MiG pilot for the Soviet Union just flying to Japan and landing and then saying like, please, please help me. Um, it's someone defecting from a system of liberty and self-reliance by saying, all right, I just want the creature comforts. I just want to go to the Taylor Swift concert. So I'll put that jab in my arm. That's a defection from free and libertarian society that we're seeing today. We're, the, the lines of the Cold War are kind of are, are not really drawn like they were back when George Orwell wrote this or even as recently as you know, the 1980s. Um, to me, defection is checking out of the way our society operates today in, a, in the alleged land of the free. It's alleged indeed. And it's, it's so I, I I've loved, I love, I have loved doing this animal farm, just revisiting it and comparing it to the things we see today. And I think of Molly and I think even of, of our experience as police officers and FBI agents. And I think of, you know, a snitch uh, when Molly is up, you know, at the fence, getting her, her head petted by the, the human, you know, she's, there's an accusation made that she's, is she spying essentially? Is she spying on, on the farm? And she's like, no, no, I didn't, you know, and, and, and then, uh, some sugar and ribbons are found in her, in her, uh, pen or whatever. And, um, you know, then she, she runs off, you know, and it's like, man, even in a way like Orwell hit on just this simple, like what informants do like, Hey, I just wanted to get paid. So I'll come up with something to inform on who knows what Molly was talking about. You know, she just wanted some creature comforts and she, then she ends up just full on defecting over the wall, over the wall, out of East Germany. You know, like I even thought of that and it's like, and you know, that wouldn't come till decades later, but it's like, it's still kind of resonated in that way to me. But um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's cool. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this and I'm glad to get into these next couple chapters because before we know it, I mean, we're like halfway, you know, and yeah. it's going to, it's going to be pretty quick and we're going to be done. The, the Eastern Germany, uh, comparison is, is I think pretty relevant. I mean, I remember reading the memoirs of a, uh, he was a KGB operative he worked for the Stasi, um, and came over to the United States as a spy and wound up defecting to America because he was pretty sweet here and he didn't want to we don't want to go back to that. But in his recollections, he was given the pass to go from East to West Germany. Uh -huh. And in just the comparison to like, wow, wow, these guys have Levi jeans and they can listen to music. And 
and the way that that battle was waged through pop culture, um, it, it didn't take people you know, having a really substantive intellectual conversations about the inner workings of government and how a capitalist system is superior to a socialist system. Like, just ex show them the example. Like, life is better here. Like, you can wear Wranglers and you can have the creature comforts. And, and that might be all that it takes to reach a critical mass for some of these people, which is why when it comes to the animal farm, we don't want to talk about Molly ever again. It, uh -huh. it, she is erased very much like the Stalin uh, photos where there'd be somebody in the picture and then they were persona non grata and then just airbrushed out. We're going to, it's better to pretend they never existed than to actually confront the, uh, th their betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to alter history because our, you know, whatever we're stumping for must march on the cause must continue. So that person, they never existed in this case, that four legged creature, she never existed. She's gone. And it, I mean, it, and it only, I don't know. I, I have this sense of foreboding as we go. And I think, I think Orwell did this intentionally. Like you could kind of feel it every chapter. The more we move, the more we head to wherever we're going, the more it's like, huh, what's happening next? And we and see I, a lot of that in these two chapters. It's you see the snowball. You, you see that it is happening faster and faster. Uh, it's not necessarily the boiling frog where they just turn it up one degree at a time. The first time they turn it up one degree, the second time they adjust it, it's by two. And the third time it's by four. I mean, it's, it's an increasing magnitude that you, that we're going to begin to see. Um, so to the story, this rivalry between the two leaders, uh, yeah. within the movement with between snowball and Napoleon is continuing and you see the contrasting styles. Uh, and again, snowball is the Trotsky and Napoleon is Stalin. And what Snowball aims to do, he's still the, the believer in the apparatus, the, the believer in the system. He believes in all the levers and we can make this movement happen globally. He's got grand ambitions. Uh, he's also a brilliant orator. He's able to convince a lot of the, the other animals to his side just because he can tell a story. He can mm -hmm. deliver a really good speech. Um, his strengths are in being a, uh, a speaking as a politician, organizing, uh, really being all in on the socialism. That he just yeah. loves it. And um, Napoleon is a power guy. He he realizes that he might not have the skill set to be a charismatic leader, but he doesn't necessarily have to have that. Uh, what he can do are the basics, the the blocking and the tackling, not being the quarterback in the Super Bowl pose and saying like, hey, I'm going to Disney World because I'm the hero. I got the mm -hmm. great teeth and the smile and the hair. Um, Napoleon is like the, the offensive tackle on two -a days and is just willing to grind because he knows if he pushes the right areas, he can overcome his shortcomings that might uh be not apparent at the time so he's really good at organizing yeah yeah and i you know it seems like most of the people watching on saturday have been reading but for those of you who haven't been here's a quote i pulled on this very topic it says at the meeting snowball often won over the majority by his brilliant speeches but napoleon was better at canvassing support for himself in between times he was especially successful with the sheep of late the sheep had taken to bleating four legs good two legs 
bad. I just, I had to do it. I had to do it. Both in and out of season. And they often interrupted the meeting with this. It was noticed that they were especially liable to break into four legs good, two legs bad at crucial moments in Snowball's speeches. And we see this uh, character portrayal or this character development even more as we go. And it starts again with, or at this point, we're, we're back to the battle between Snowball and Napoleon. And it, it's going to escalate here pretty quick. I want to give a, a real world example uh, that might have slipped through the radar, uh, under the radar for people. Um, and yeah, this is this is Animal Farm. This is talking about the Russian Revolution. Um, but let's try to maybe reference some things that we're seeing recently within recent years in our own country. Um, and I actually came up with this because of the the Michigan primary that happened recently for uh, well, both the Democrats and the Republicans had a presidential primary, and there was all there's it's statistics, right? People can talk about whatever they want on their on their talking points, um, but. What I thought was relevant to our discussion when comparing Snowball to Napoleon was the 2022 governor's race in Michigan. And if you remember, that was supposed to be the red wave, right? And it was Tudor Dixon for the Republicans uh, running against an incumbent, Gretchen Whitmer. And Gretchen Whitmer was the governor who shut down the entire state and told people that they couldn't buy like seeds at stores and baby seats. And She's you know, a tyrant if ever there was one. I mean, and you would think the the appetite of the political wins at the time in 2022, they would go rather poorly. So I, I went back and I went to real clear, clear politics. And I think this is interesting. So uh, it says the Michigan governor race between Dixon and Whitmer uh, just before the actual election. So a poll was taken, the, the real clear politics average of multiple polls for uh, December 30th through November 7th. So like the week before the election, it showed Gretchen Whitmer up by one point. Now in generally, generally if the incumbent is up by one point, um, and the winds of, of the election are that the tailwinds are behind the, uh, the challenger more than likely it's going to go in the favor of the challenger. That's the conventional political wisdom. But if you look at the final results the next week, Whitmer won by 10 and a half points. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, Tudor Dixon is a great communicator and uh, she had all the, the speeches and it seemed to have all the, the tailwinds at her back. But I just think Gretchen Whitmer organized and was grinding it out and got a win that was overwhelming because you it's not even you don't even need to squeak it out like that's domination yeah from her and she was a woman who shut down the whole state right and you know michiganders are my people right so one of our one of our frequent viewers is a guy i went to iraq with he's from michigan we text a, a lot still today uh it's just right across the lake it's Wisconsin and Michigan might as well be the same place. You know, very similar people, very similar climate. Uh, one of my best friends at the police department, he moved here uh, from Michigan. And I've talked to both these guys and because, uh, because of this election. And they're like stunned. Like, how did this happen? Nobody I know wanted Gretchen Whitmer anymore. But then she wins by almost 11 points. Like, what what really went on here? Where me, I guess I'll be a little more conspiratorial than she organized and really just 
just crushed it right there near the end. I think the alleged land of the free. Just keep <laughs> believing that. Just keep on believing that. But hey, I'm yeah. a deep state mega operative, as they like to say. So who knows? Well, it's a good thing you're on Rumble. You're not going to get canceled on the free speech platform like Rumble, which we are on every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday on the American Radicals podcast. Guys, make sure that you are giving us a follow and a like if you're with us on Rumble. Um, we are getting close to 2,000 followers. I wanted to see if we can we can push that. Maybe we can get it done the next uh, next couple episodes. I think that would be really exciting. Uh, if you listen on the podcast, subscribe to us so that you will get the automatic updates as they come in. And uh, we are drilling down on Animal Farm today on Saturday, Chapters 5, Chapter 6. Before we continue, let's uh, thank show sponsor, and that is True Earth Pharmacy. Go to trueearth.co and use the show's promo code, which is AMRAD24, to get a 10% discount store-wide. You can get that on their fertilizer products. You can get that on their supplements. Uh, again, I'm on the regimen. I've had really great success with it. Uh, I think that there's nothing can speak. I can't speak higher than saying that I use these products in my own life, and I've seen them impact me. Uh, the, the black turmeric is something that is legit and for real. The anti-inflammatory uh, qualities that studies have shown that it does have, uh, I've seen them impact in my life. So I would encourage all of you, if you just have aches and pains from whatever it is, whatever it is that ails you, uh, just give the, the black turmeric a try. Give them an order. Use AMRAD24 at checkout, and you can get 10% off True Earth Pharmacy at trueearth.co in an American company. Uh, everything made in the good old USA. So let's move on. Uh, there's a debate between, there's multiple debates be going on. Um, one is defense of the of the farm, um, which, you know, is, I think it's actually a, a legitimate debate that you would have as a nation. Like, you know, should we arm ourselves or should we push the movement further? And that's between Snowball and Napoleon. But uh, for uh, the sake of time, let's drill in on the major debate, which is the windmill that, uh, that that just breaks the farm into two giant factions. Now, the windmill debate is basically no Snowball saying we can build a windmill and invest in our future through technology. And if we do that, if we put in the work now, we put in the sweat equity for a year then we will be able to reap the whirlwinds, the benefits of it. And then going forward, it will reduce our workload. And he, he's countered by Napoleon. And Napoleon says, this is a fool's errand. We need to worry about feeding ourselves now. And if we invest all of our time and our resources into this, this crazy idea of technology, we might go hungry, which I think is a, a fair debate between guys I, I don't i don't think that the players are necessarily uh good actors in this i, I think that they're they're kind of just going after they're opposing each other for natural rivalry purposes but it's a fair debate for any sort of nation or the farm in this case to have um uh, what's your what would be what, what side are you on if you're on the animal farm garrett um i was thinking about this as i was reading it and i think i leaned windmill because i thought long term this will be better. Okay, maybe this year we're splitting our efforts a little, a little bit between harvest and power. But in the long run, if we can get this windmill up and running and increase our technology, that over time is going to help our overall productivity and um, yield in future harvests. So that's where I leaned initially. 
and it's it's it, it seemed and i know it's part of the characters napoleon versus snowball snowball is a little more eloquent a little more uh like the people's or i guess in this case the animals um guy and i thought yeah like yeah that windmill makes more sense to me where napoleon was like no we need to just harvest and because that's you know priority we have to you know we have to yield you know reap as much as we can heading into winter which i get it's it is legit it is legit but i'm thinking broad long term you want animal farm to succeed over time you want it to prosper maybe you're going to have a lean year or two early on because we're not that far removed from the rebellion so it's a rebuilding stage so that's that's where i leaned early and that's still where i would stick and then yeah, I don't. I don't want to get too far ahead yet to, uh, for any spoilers, but uh, we'll get there by the end of chapter six of where this leads. I think it, it's a good contrast in the in the, the the factions of socialism, and I don't know if you can tie it directly to what either historical figure Trotsky and and Stalin actually advocated for, um, but I think just generally the the socialist, the international socialism that a snowball character is advocating for. It's, he recognizes that technological innovation is going to be paramount for them to operate over the horizon into the future for the long term so that they can succeed so that the revolution can spread around the world. That's the ambition of the socialist uh, internationally. They want global socialism. They want one world socialism. And then there's the other faction that Napoleon sort of represents, which is like a uh, an animal farm first, like America first, like make animal farm great again, where it's, um, it's just insulated. We want to uh, sort of extricate ourselves from the rest of society and operate our, our own. And we have to divorce entirely. Uh, he's interested in hardening with, with military hardware right he doesn't he doesn't want to engage the outside world he wants to build up the walls it, it was almost a uh, uh a nazi sort of socialism where the nazis were about make germany great just germany we're, and if we'll ex we'll expand germany but it'll be about germany and the international socialists that were sort of taking the bolsheviks that were that eventually take over the soviet union um they were about Soviet republics forming all over the world. It didn't necessarily have to be under the banner and the flag of the USSR. Uh, they they just wanted to spread socialism kind of the way that America's sort of tried to spread democracy around. Um, but I think that there's, it's the same economic system. It's just a question of, uh, is it contained within the borders of one country or one farm? or are we interested in a more global perspective? And if you want to be insulated, then you reject the, the technological innovation. And we're just going to stick with the old ways uh, because we don't need any of that. Uh, it's, a, it's an intellectual debate that I think is, it would, if you confronted with it, is, is definitely worth having. Um, but I think the contrast of, it's just basically two people that are having this, are two animals having this argument. And everyone else is just kind of just sitting there like ping pong and back and yep. forth and saying like, waiting for direction. Uh huh. Just tell <laughs> us what to do, please. Mighty government. Just, just tell us what you want. We'll comply. And the debate is it, I mean, is it really resolved? I mean, I, I think the, the, the political winds shift to snowball's favor. Uh, it, it, he seems on the cusp on the precipice of winning this debate. And then Napoleon just goes and he starts, he keeps grinding, right? Mm -hmm. he, it doesn't matter. 
you can be the best speaker. You can make the most articulate argument and convince everyone to your side. And you might even be right. But when it comes to power, raw power, uh, Napoleon understands that it doesn't, none of that really matters. And that's when he brings in the dogs who he's been cultivating yep. and raising. He's been ready. He's been preparing. So Napoleon sees this, these winds changing too, or, or where he's like, ah, oh, snowball is, he's, he's taking the day. I can't let that happen. But he had pre prepared for that by taking the dogs, which early on, we didn't know what happened to the puppies. Well, Napoleon happened to the puppies. And that's probably where a lot of that milk went too to help raise up these puppies. And now they're not quite full grown, it says. And they wag their tail around Napoleon like they used, like other dogs used to do around Mr. Jones. Napoleon was smart. He was devious. He was conniving, but he was ready. And he makes that sound that nobody had heard before. And the dogs come marching in and who are the dogs steve because i i have a theory about who the dogs are today but i want to throw that one to you and, and see who you think the dogs are the checker the kgb yeah the fbi <laughs> is what i think and and our in our context i know we're not in the middle of the bolshevik revolution but i was like oh the dogs the dogs they are the fbi they're the they're the actual attack dogs they're the yep. teeth on the attack dog that are um Napoleon has come to the conclusion that I can't win the debate, so I'm just going to eliminate my opponent. Yep. And force. That, I have the force. I have the power. So he runs Snowball off. The, the dogs actually chase him off of the farm. And then Napoleon, it's, you could just, you, as you read it, the, the imagery of it, I think he, he actually mounts this raised portion of a platform. Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, um, who was the, the pig in the very beginning who had the vision major dream? old yeah. major yep he goes up on major's platform so he goes up on the platform uh let me read this portion he announced that from now so right away he's assuming power and we're, we're done with we're gonna vote for everything i'm just gonna assert how things are gonna operate going forward i will give you the illusion of unity and we're all equal um but the pigs are going to assume power so he says he, he he mounts his platform he announced that from now on sunday morning meetings would come to an end and sunday morning meetings is town government right they were unnecessary and wasted time in future all questions relating to the work of the farm would be settled by a special committee of pigs presided over by himself so this is the politburo uh, that he's establishing and these would they would meet in private so it's not even uh a sunshine law like we have in florida where the school board has to meet pub. They're not allowed to meet behind closed doors. It has to be in front of the public on full display where they're supposed to be having the debates that are going to be handling. Sounds things. like the type of thing you would want in the alleged land of the free. So they, they're going to meet in private and, but they're still going to have their symbolism. He's going to give the people, the people or the animals, the illusion of unity. And so they will still assemble on Sunday mornings to salute the flag, sing their national anthem, but just receive their orders for the week. No more debate. Just do as you're told. Uh, sit in the corner and color. <laughs> we know a lot about that, about just yeah. doing what you're told. And if you just do what you're told, it's going to be all right. You can just escort Steve Baker to the car and to the courthouse and in front of the magistrate. You can just follow I mean, the orders and it's going to be all right. But it's profitable. 
it's yeah. profitable for you if you are in the good graces of the the power. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be in the power. You just have to be tangential. You have to be power adjacent, and you can reap the whirlwinds. You can you can get a little bit of slice for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think we're yeah, you you nailed it. Those two agents that walked Steve Baker to his car yesterday. And side note, let's just say it. Uh, the FBI pushed a DEI agenda during the arrest of Steve Baker. For sure. For <laughs> sure. So part of me thought, okay, is that them trying to allude to Steve Baker being one of these white supremacists who was at January 6th? Is that part of it? Because let, let's just be frank. How many black agents are there? In my experience, there wasn't many. There was only a couple in my class. The vast majority were, were white men or women. And then there's, you know, a small smattering of other races throughout. But they, I, I don't know, the optics of it struck me as well. And I, yeah, I, I've been wondering like, huh, how much of that was intentional? Who are they? What's their position? Are they just agents? Or do they send a couple ASACs down? Do they send a couple SSAs down because they knew there were going to be a bunch of cameras? I don't know. I mean, we don't know these answers. I do wonder. Well, I mean, yeah. hey, look, I'll just I'll pull it up right now, Garrett. This is from the FBI's DEI page. There are demographics because they're fully transparent, right? 27.3% uh, are ethnic or racial minority. That's pretty broad, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, what are the odds that the two agents that they pull out are ethnic minorities? Um, just simple math. That's uh, about a quarter. Uh, so what, the odds would be 1 in 16 that two agents would be ethnic minorities taking Steve Baker into custody. So um, I think the safe bet is on them, uh, them just doing that for, for on purpose. Yeah, I mean that's that's my assumption at this point because how can you how how can you assume them acting with integrity? You I, I just you just can't anymore. And I know they love to say fidelity, bravery, integrity. Do you see any of it? Do you ever see any of it from them anymore? I don't even know when the last time was that we did. I, I don't know if it ever, if the, if it even existed at any moment of my career, I really don't. Uh, we're to the Tiffany Justice line of you know, they they just redefine terms like what is integrity, what what is how do you define it if you're in the FBI at this point, um, which is actually a really good connection back to Animal Farm. Um, so let me let me see if we can square this circle here. The FBI doesn't have a definition for integrity that meets with what we all sort of understand what integrity means or that you and I did when we went through the process of joining the ranks. Um, in an animal farm, when they run Snowball off and now he's going to be persona non grata, uh, there's a little bit of pushback from the animals and they say that he fought bravely for us. He's, he's not an enemy. And then Squealer, the propagandist, says bravery is not enough loyalty and obedience are more important and as to the battle of the cowshed i believe the time will come when we shall find that snowball's part in it was much exaggerated discipline comrades iron discipline that is the watchword for today one false step and our enemies would be upon us so we're redefining what is actually important i mean he's snowball got a uh, medal of valor for bravery. Right. Well, we're going to just redefine what it is to be a really good citizen. Bravery is not enough. Just obedience, doing what you're told. Right. Steve, you're just driving him to court. Yep. Do your job. That's your duty. Your duty is not to the Constitution. Your duty is to the FBI and to right. do what you're told.
the direct quote paid. from yeah. assistant special agent in charge, Colt Markovsky. Yep. And it goes further and it says a little bit later, Snowball, who, as we now know, was no better than a criminal <laughs> planting that seed. And it's like, <laughs> this just goes to tell that humans, we don't change. We don't change. This was published in 1945. 1945 about a revolution that happened about 25 years before that. But you see it today. Snowball is who here? He's Donald Trump. Love him or hate him, but he's Donald Trump. As we now know, who was no better than a criminal. Just turn on any of the mainstream news pro you know, providers. Providers, news, give me a break. And it's it's the political enemy, Snowball, the political enemy being run off who we now who we now know is no better than a criminal. Okay. All right. So Snowball goes away. Uh I was I was thinking actually of the movie uh The Dark Knight. The you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. Yep. Uh, we don't know what becomes of Snowball if he actually lives long, long enough, but his legacy certainly is going to live long enough to become a villain, to become a scapegoat. An easy scapegoat because Jones the the, the farmer how long is that going to play? How long are we going to continue to say, yeah. oh, well, Jones might come back if you don't listen to us? Well, we all know Jones, they say in the book, Jones moved to a different part of the county. He kind of just threw his hands up and was like, well, that's gone. Uh, so that's over. So we need to find a new scapegoat to blame all our problems on for when, when there's a, uh, a, in, in, a incident of mismanagement or even just bad luck. Yeah. It's better to give the people a scapegoat than to actually take accountability for your own your own mess ups. Um, yeah, this is this is one of the the quotes I pulled too. It says, uh, "Surely, comrades, you do not want Jones back." Once again, this argument was unanswerable. Certainly, the animals did not want Jones back. If the holding of debates on Sunday mornings was liable to bring him back, then the, the debates must stop. Boxer, who had now had time to think things over, voiced the general feeling by saying. If Comrade Napoleon says it, it must be right. And from then on, he adopted the maxim, Napoleon is always right, in addition to his private motto of, I will work harder. <laughs> oh, man. man. I, I have to weigh in on this, Napoleon is always right from Boxer. Um, you know, I had, we, we were sick in the friend household, and I got the chance to do the thing that I've, I've wanted to do for years, and that is sit down and actually watch Rocky with my older son because we were both sick and we we're like, ah, let's just watch, watch this movie. And we watched Rocky and we watched Rocky too. Uh, and, and it was, it was a great father son experience. And then there was a scene in this, this is boxer. And I have to play this video. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's about two minutes long. Um, and then, uh, I just want to, to play it. And then, and, and this is Napoleon is always right. So, uh, let's do this. Okay, Buckus. Nice house. I'd say that's a nice house in general, wouldn't you? Huh? Look at these bricks, Adrian. My husband's an expert on bricks. Are these new bricks? Yeah. Oh, this is a very solid neighborhood. Yeah? I like this. Very I nice. like these bricks. They're very nicely done here. They look very solid. Nice. nice mailbox. I like this mailbox. You know, these numbers almost add up to nine here. I like that. That's a good omen. Oh, wow. Nice house. Really nice. Hey, Adrian, remember that's a great spot for a bag. You know, I can teach you how to work that bag someday, you know? <laughs> uh, does it have copper plumbing? 
upstairs and down. Yeah. This whole house is supported with steel, the whole thing. Yeah. This, all these floors are solid oak, solid. Yeah. Now, Mrs. Balboa, can I show you the kitchen? I think you're going to really like it. So, that's good to know. Hey, Adrian, that's a great spot for a radio right over there, you know? Nice steps, nice steps. Hey, nice kitchen. Nice. Yeah. Nice kitchen, yes. What are taxes every year? Fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Hey, Adrian, I like it. I know a pretty good deal when I see one, too. Excuse me, I can't. I want to talk to my husband for one second. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? Sure, I'm available. I got no appointments. You're making this man's job you know, very easy. Uh, and the bank said it will give us a $16,000 first mortgage at 9.5%. Well, hey, I don't mind. I said we'd get the house now. Yeah, but we need to go upstairs. I don't mind. It's just details. I'm sure it's nice. Details. All right. It's just details, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is... It's perfect, right? That's Boxer. Like, Rocky works really hard, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's strong... But he's, he's, fortunately for him, he's married to a woman who's got her head on her shoulders. But he's like, oh, that's just details. I, yeah. Just tell me. I just want things now. I'll do what I'm told. Not really going to think beyond the surface level. And I'll be excited about anything as long as I just get what I want, which mm -hmm. is, in this case, he wants that house. Yep. So just get it. It's, it, I like too that he's actually a boxer. It, it, it ties it all together even more. <laughs> it, it, I, I like these numbers. They almost add yeah. up to nine, which right. is a good omen. That's a good omen. <laughs> hey, look, look at the bricks here. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's a significant portion of people. I mean, I don't want to be insulting. I mean, he's he Sylvester Stallone plays that character really well. The character uh, Rocky is a he's a charming character. He's Wears on his heart on his sleeve. He works really hard. He cares about his family. He cares about his wife and his kid. Uh, he has a lot of the character qualities that Boxer has in the book, too. But that's not enough. You have to put in a little bit of the homework. Otherwise, you will get taken. Adrian tells him, you're making the realtor's job very easy right now because you're just being so obvious that you're just willing to take whatever he throws at you. And I think the pigs in on Animal Farm see boxer and they see the other animals like the sheep like napoleon's able to manipulate them as an opportunity to exploit their labor exploit them for political purposes because they are not uh, either incapable may maybe there's an intellectual problem there but at the same time i think it's uh, it's not just um shortcomings naturally with with iq and brain power it's an unwillingness it's just easier to sit there and say yeah, let's let's just get the house. It's just details. It'll all work out. Yeah. And honestly, to extend it to just humans in general, I think a lot of people right now, they think everything's fine. Everything's going to just keep marching along because they just want that path of least resistance. Just let me have what I want. Just as long as I keep getting that direct deposit every two weeks, as long as I've got Netflix, as long as I've got DoorDash. I don't really care what happens with politics. I don't, I mean, you know, the president, the Congress, they come and go, but America, we will endure. Will we though? Will we? I think a lot of people are going to wake up on November 6th this year and realize like, oh, maybe we uh, aren't as free as I thought we were. Because I think a lot of people still haven't realized it. I, I think so. And I mean, it was, it, 
it's probably a different conversation for a different day. I know I uh, I, I embraced the role of the, uh, the the heel yesterday. You know, in professional wrestling, you have the heroes and the heel, and uh, I, I leaned into my heel pretty hard when I was on uh, Kyle's Sheriff and Show, and basically just said like, "Stay home, don't vote." And yeah. there's the there's the right reason, and then there's the real reason for doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And again, this is this is broader conversation another day, but real quick so people know. The right reason is um, when I go to a restaurant and if I look at the menu and there's nothing good on it, I leave. I don't just sit there and order something that's, you know, sort of okay and deal with. And that's sort of the way I feel about my politicians. If there's no good option, I just leave the restaurant. That's the right reason. The real reason that I embraced the heel role yesterday was because I wanted people to get angry when I said that. And people got angry when I said that because it forced them to confront something. And that is the fact that all most people do is outsource their citizenship every two, four, and six years and vote. And that's all they do. And if you say don't vote, then they're forced to confront the reality of, well, then I really don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I want people to do things beyond just voting. If you want to vote, like that's, that's fine. If there's a candidate there who meets your threshold, that's excellent. Go and vote. But I was more interested in the response, the anger that comes from that and and provoking that because I think that that's something that's going to happen. And again, conversation for another day, but it was worth uh, throwing out there. Um, I I, I kind of liked being like Hulk Hogan with the with the the NWO days where he was like yes. black beard and <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. NWO was my jam back in the day. That's right. But, um, I I listened to you guys yesterday and then I thought of this quote from our chapters this week. Benjamin was the only animal who did not side with either faction. So this is a little bit earlier. We, we already covered through here, but it says he refused to believe either that food would become more plentiful or that the windmill would save work. Windmill or no windmill, he said, life would go on as it had always gone on. That is badly. And honestly, RRD, how much better is it going to get? I don't know. I, I'm not optimistic about it. I, and I'm more and more disenfranchised with elections the more we have. And, you know, we talked about the one in Michigan. And, you know, go ahead. Okay, call me a conspiracy theorist. But when you look at the totality of the circumstances of the last number of elections, whether they're at the federal level, the you know, or state levels in various different states, if you don't, if you aren't questioning some of this stuff, I don't, I, you're like Molly. You just want to run off and get some sugar. You know, like you, you really aren't paying attention. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I thought it was interesting because Kyle kind of retorted, you know, right back like, ah, I think I think we do need to go vote. And maybe we do. I don't know. I don't know. I probably will. I've always kind of looked at it as a duty of mine. Uh, but that being said, all these years of my life dedicated to duty. I don't know. Look, look where it's gotten me. So I, I, I like I said, it, it, everybody, you got to do what you, what you can. Um nobody who i've seen right now has has earned my vote at a federal level so i'm that i'm, I'm gonna vote for county i mean my buddy is a county chair where i live because i hail from volusia county florida that's where i'm going to keep starts so that's what i'm gonna bring back i'm just i'm a volusian <laughs> um and he's doing a good job so uh, he's gonna get my vote um uh, i don't have a, a rep at a federal level who's doing that so they don't uh let's cover back down on a couple more things here uh we are on animal farm we're into chapter six now uh, on the American Radical podcast, the Napoleon has assumed control. 
he's allowed them to sort of keep their trappings, uh, the symbolism where they're going to sing the national anthem. Uh, and then they start doing the filing past the old major skull. And I don't even know if, if you checked on this, Garrett. You know they still have Lenin's body up in in Russia, right? I did not know that. That's they, that's creepy. It, not only is that idolatry, but it's pretty creepy. And I, I found a video for it because it, it's it's broken down over time. Um, there's a lot of you know it's it's almost like the Darth Vader. He's more machine now than man. Um, <laughs> But the history of it, and there was, I'll have to look up that book and I'll bring it back. Uh, and maybe for another, for a book study of this spy who worked for, for the Stasi. And he talked about going and seeing Lenin's body because he had grown up in Germany, had never been to the Soviet Union and going there. And then there was just hours a day, people just lined up to see him in this mausoleum. Um, here's a video actually uh, showing how it still sort of exists. And, uh, and, and this is, I think, just uh, the allegorical perspective here that we get from Animal Farm about the way things operate in Soviet Russia. In a park outside Moscow, these are the ghosts of communism past, like a freak show of fallen idols. And the red star of this show is Vladimir Lenin, who led the Russian Revolution. You know, there are an estimated 14,000 statues of this man in the Soviet Union. That means that wherever you went in the USSR, there was probably at least one Lenin thinking about you taking care of you or just watching you but communism did more than make statues of him it preserved his body and put it on display Lenin is more alive than the living declared one Soviet slogan a whole scientific Institute was set up to maintain the corpse over time it's had to replace some skin and flesh with plastics and other material Lenin's Red Square mausoleum was a site of pilgrimage in the USSR, the late revolutionary, quite literally, cult viewing. There you have it. It still exists. Is that not creepy? It's, um, it, it wigs me out, dude. It's weird. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's bizarre, man. Like, just put the dude in the ground or, you know, turn him into ashes and scatter him over you know leningrad or whatever you know i don't know <laughs> i think i mean I, I think i think it's just sort of this another aspect to uh, george orwell's creativity as an author here uh, this allegory that's what it is they're filing past they they dug up old major's body to get his skull and clean it up for them to walk past so <laughs> yeah. i think that that's that's the reference here uh the so napoleon is now in charge and then he makes uh, extra voluntary work a thing I love this. I love this. I pulled I pulled this. This this work was strictly voluntary. But any animal who absented himself from it would have his rations reduced by half. Oh yeah, real voluntary. Real voluntary. Kind of like uh oh, I don't know, when they when they mandated that COVID-19 jab for us. It's uh it's voluntary, but you know, you could lose your job. So, yeah, there's that. Yep. So just do what you're told. Compliance and is the key here. Obedience, as Squealer said, is the uh, the most important thing. And the uh, so so he he's now implemented mandatory extra work. Uh, the pigs start to sleep in an extra hour a day. No no question about it. The uh, and and then he does the full on gaslight. 
and that is make the argument that he actually wanted the windmill all along. Mm -hmm. And if you remember from the earlier in the, in the book, when Snowball was drawing up the plans, the animals were, it was over their head, they were out of their depth, but they were just sort of like, it was a novelty to them. They would go and see the plans that Snowball had drawn up, the, uh, the architectural layout, the engineering layout, the blueprints. And then Napoleon just showed up one day and urinates on it. So yeah, clearly didn't approve of that. Uh, but now he's going to claim, no, I wanted it all oh, along. Yep. And he will send out his propagandist to make sure that message that properly. Um, and he starts talking about tactics and how tactics are, are really what, what Napoleon is all about. And it's not, he's, he's taken on the leadership role out of a, uh, out of a, not, not for any sort of personal ambition, but because he's, he's taken the weight and the, and the heaviness on his own shoulders because he's just such a darn good guy. Um, and I was I'm here I was for you, Steve and all you other animals. I'm doing this for you. Like that's why I exist. It, it it's it's so reminiscent of just about every politician we hear. Just yep. I'm happy. so he's I mean he's he's lied about his intention to be in charge. He's lied about his his uh, opposition to the windmill, and he's even lied about his opposition to engaging with outside forces, without with outside entities through trade. So now he's going to completely uh, pivot off of his earlier statement, saying like we need to basically make animal farm great right isolationist we're going to defend ourselves with arms we're not going to talk or communicate at all with the outside world unlike snowball who wanted to engage and start a worldwide revolution well now he's going to say well no all along i really wanted to engage we, we need the technological innovation we need the windmill we need to start engaging in trade to get things along which is counter to what napoleon represented himself to be uh, because he is seeking power and he's a politician and they all, they all seem to do it. And uh, just for for humor's sake, I, I went back into the archives and pulled this one up. I think the Amred audience, uh, there's probably a few out there who who remember this one. This one is a classic. We'll uh, we'll give this a watch. I want to get to some of the substantive domestic and international issues in a minute, but let's just wrap up a little bit of the politics right now. Why why should Democrats, looking at the Democratic nomination, uh, the process? support you instead of Bill Bradley, a friend of yours, a former colleague in the Senate. What do you have to bring to this that he doesn't necessarily bring to this process? Well, I, I will be, I'll be offering my vision when my campaign begins. It'll be comprehensive and sweeping, and I hope that it'll be compelling enough to draw people toward it. I feel that it will be, but it will emerge from my dialogue with the American people I've traveled to every part of this country uh, during the last six years. Uh, during my service in the United States uh, Congress, uh, I took the initiative in creating the Internet. Uh, I took the uh, initiative in moving forward a whole range of initiatives that have proven to be uh, important to our country's economic growth, and environmental protection, improvements in our educational system. During a quarter century of uh, public service, including most of it long before I came into my my current job i have worked to try so you invented the internet Did, didn't you know that <laughs> it still is like dumbfounding like you dude actually said that seriously I, like really you took the initiative in creating the internet no you didn't you lying sack of garbage mm -hmm. politician okay you want you people still want to say that 
it was just a few hanging chads between him and, you know, between him entering the Oval Office. We're our own worst enemy, okay? There, that's it. And we've been for decades. Like, look at these people that we elect or almost elect. It's a joke, dude. It's a joke. <laughs> Man, it's, it's just such a classic. I invented the internet, and people took him seriously enough. But look, I mean, we, we, we're surrounded by clowns. We got John Fetterman, who's a walking... Vare's report. I mean, <laughs> as a senator, who's uh, he's straight up socialist and so straight up communist, but you probably could argue he's top twenty as far as one of the most conservative senators by 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 rhetoric alone at this point. We yeah. are when you vote for the lesser of two evils, you always get an evil person mm -hmm. in charge. Uh, and speaking of evil individuals or entities or beings in charge, the pigs now from their position that, that napoleon has elevated them to this Politburo style they move into the farmhouse and they argue quote it was absolutely necessary he said that the pigs who were the brains of the farm should have a quiet place to work in it was also more suited to the dignity of a leader for the late he had taken to speaking of napoleon under the title of leader to live in a house uh house than a mere sty so this is that squealer uh, going out and doing the the propaganda and planting the seeds of leader uh, napoleon it's it's i thought i thought we i thought it was four legs good two legs bad and all animals are equal right yeah. um now we have titles of nobility being introduced into our, our into our farm mm -hmm. and should i just get, go there i mean it's in this chapter soon now it's two legs maybe not so evil two <laughs> legs maybe we can broker a deal here and what's you know all of us will gain a little bit from this because now we actually do need to start working with the outside world and maybe humans maybe other farms we'll see but we got to do what's good for animal farm and yeah the, the seven commandments they actually never did say the things that you think they said where are you getting that from well there's back to the real reason and the right reason uh, the the right reason to engage in outside trade is we need stuff, right? We we can't have a, a self a, a farm that operates on its own. We 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 need equipment. We need to get supplies as they come in. But the real reason is so that the pigs can enrich themselves on the back of the labor of mm -hmm. the other animals, as we'll as we'll come to find out as they start to have this relationship with an outside actor, and. You're right. When they come to editing the seven commandments, they the pigs are sleeping in the house, which was supposed to be forbidden. They were now they're sleeping on beds, and that was definitely on the on the wall, right? And then yep. we go out to the seventh commandments, and there's an edit. There's an edit, but they they just accept it, and that is no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets mm. so we've added an addendum there to be more specific and we're going to send out our propagandists to really massage this message saying well well you know anywhere you sleep is really quote unquote a bed yeah. it's yeah. the distinction of having the sheets that really makes a difference uh, which is what we consistently see from our elected officials or even our uh you know our, our press release people or, or people that get up and just spin they spin like tops, man, and yep. lie to our faces. And um, the fact that we even we know they're doing it, they know that we know that they're doing it, yeah. and they know that we know that they know that we're doing it, and we still yeah. allow Soldier it Vincent. to happen. Yep. And yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about too. I'm like, 
oh, this is this these this is our politicians that they are this as well, and it's it's rampant. It's it's very rampant. They all do it. I don't care what side. They are all spin doctors to some degree, and honestly, I really think that you're not you're not getting elected to Congress or the Senate if you're not. And what does that say about us as a people, really? Where is the discernment? Like, how do you not see this, or do you? But what other option do I have? These are the these are the candidates, so I got to pick one. It goes back to what you're saying about maybe we just shouldn't vote. I don't know. I I, I mean I'm I'm a believer in the restaurant theory. Again, if nothing good on the menu, I just get up and leave. Yeah, I'm going um, somewhere um, else. <laughs> that's why you should just always go to like reliable places like Applebee's, right? Like, don't try yeah. anything new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, the final thing that I have here, um, and if you have any more, we we could throw it on. Uh, but is the the windmill collapsing at the very end of, of chapter six, and uh, this is devastating. They've they've put in so much work to it, they've an ingenuity, and this is they put all their hopes into it. And when bad things happen, a good leader steps up and says, "The buck stops with me." And sometimes bad luck is a thing, and sometimes bad management is a thing, and you have to take accountability. But it's just so much easier to scapegoat, right? Yeah. And Napoleon takes that route and says that Snowball, a pig, pushed over an entire windmill. <laughs> Definitely wasn't yeah. the people who snuck in and, and blew it up with right. some sort of incendiary <laughs> device. It was, it was a pig. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's when he issues out this, um, this proclamation. He says, a death sentence on Snowball's head. He'll give you a, a nice little award, uh, animal hero, second class, and half a bushel of apples to any animal who brings him to justice, a full bushel to anyone who captures him alive. Um, so now we're putting a bounty on the head of a, yeah. of a scapegoat. Um, and it's back to the things that we've talked about before, where this disturbing trend we're seeing in, in politics, where um, we're identifying not just and, and here that's specific to snowball, but I think the disturbing trend is we're identifying people who vote for a particular candidate for office are a problem who need to be hunted down and you can reap the whirlwinds and be rewarded for doing that. Right. Yeah. And your government will pay you for it. Hey, just hunt down the regime's enemies and the regime will reward you. I mean, how so, wicked and vile is that? Well, we see I mean, it. We see it here today in our own country. We do, and uh, I've got one example here. Let's give this a play from uh, your friend of mine, Stephen D'Antuano. This is a twenty-four-seven, full bore, invest extensive operation into what happened that day. We cannot do our job without the help of the American people. Since our call for tips videos and pictures, we have received more than 100,000 pieces of digital media, which is absolutely fantastic. And we are scouring every one for investigative and intelligence leads. We continue to ask for more. If you have information, contact 1-800-CALL-FBI or submit photos and videos to fbi.gov slash US Capitol, that's capital with an O. And that's Stephen Antuano asking for help from the public for uh, the January 6th case. But that's just one example. I mean, it's it's 
continuous. See something, say something, report on your neighbors. Uh, there were the, the probably the scarier versions were the, the the coronavirus stuff, where there were these tip lines yeah. where people were calling in saying, "Well, I saw some extra cars outside that house. They must have been having a social gathering." And neighbors were informing on neighbors, right? And that is, is what happened. This is why I, I did that somewhere neighbors episode a few weeks back. And I know there are people out there who think, oh, well, they're making the Nazi comparison. Go look at that history. Go listen to that episode if you haven't. That This is why Steve and, and me and Kyle and, and others that we know, this is why our, our field trip to the Holocaust Memorial Museum resonated so deeply. It's because, like we talked about in this episode about this allegory, this fictional book based on history, that this is the heart of mankind. It, it repeats itself because... What was the scripture I pulled from Jeremiah, I think, last week, chapter 17? The heart is wicked. The heart of man is wicked. And th that's that's really the root of it. <clears throat> and now here, like Duane Tuano, I think of the, the level of informants that the Gestapo had. It's another direct parallel to where we are. And I've been saying this ever since I've been public. And, and even before then, it's 1933. Maybe it's even 1939, 1940 by now. In America, it is. And one of the primary things the Nazi Gestapo used was the fear of your neighbor informing on you. Nobody knew who the informants were. Guess what? The FBI refuses to release information about its informants. Nobody knows how much they get paid. Guess what? The FBI will release a total of how much they paid but never to who how, how much this one gets paid versus that one never you're never going to find out the number of informants that they have but they're the good guys they're the good guys hey call the tip line on your neighbor and you saw it i saw it it's one of my protected disclosures regarding january 6th neighbors were informing on neighbors and providing bs tips and they probably are to this day just because i don't like that guy I don't like that girl. I don't like their politics. I don't like their religion. I don't like that they voted for Donald Trump. I don't like that they're white. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't want, I don't want. Gimme, 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 gimme. It's 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 pride and it's selfishness. Do away with what I don't want. Give me what I want. And oh, the government, they're the ones who are gonna do it. They will happily take that information. And oh, yeah. then if it becomes inconvenient for what they want, they'll burn you anyway. You're not anything other than other than an asset. You're right. not, they don't owe you anything. There's not a, a sense of civic virtue there. If you say, hey, um, those guys that went to the Capitol were picking up trash mm -hmm. and trying to de-escalate, they will burn you. Burn and you. You're actually not a reliable informant now. Yeah. Or, or like Smirnov too. They burned him too. You're telling me this guy who was a, a reliable CHS for over a decade and and now suddenly, oh, let's indict him? No, there's more to that story. Guaranteed there's more to that story. There, it, even, it, even if there isn't, it to me demonstrates how off the rails an FBI is because if he was reliable for years and was paid all this money, he was giving information about important high-profile cases and now that they're gonna destroy his credibility, it means they're willing to burn all of those cases to the ground if it means protecting the Biden regime. family yeah. for this one case, uh, right. which is not 
what the FBI is supposed to be about. The FBI is not supposed to be about picking in winners and losers. It's supposed to be about taking information and following a fair process. But that's those days are, are bye bye, which is why we need uh, we 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 can't allow this organization to continue to operate. Wow. It's it, there's no none of this. We need a change at the top. It has to go yep. away. Yep. Entirely. If, if pe people always ask us, you know, all of us, how do you fix it? You don't. You can't. You cannot. My stance is and will always be, you can't. Okay, you can't force people to turn to Christ. I mean, read the Bible. It is antithetical to everything the heart of man desires. Because what we see in the world, what we see in the Craig Noyes of the FBI, what we see in the Biden regimes of the world, of history, is they want the heart's deepest, darkest, envious desires. In First John, it's it's one of my favorite verses, has been for a few years. First John 2, it's like, I think like 15 through 17, roughly in there. And it says, it's it's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. That is the root. That is what humans desire. That is what they want. The opposite is what you get when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you've turned your life to Christ, when you realize he died for your sins on a cross, so you don't have to pay your own restitution eternally in hell. But most, the, the, the Bible says the, the, the gate is narrow. Yeah, I think the gate is very, very, very narrow. Look around at your fellow man, informing on your neighbor, informing to the government, just desiring the things of your own flesh, the lust of your own eyes, your own boastful pride of life. This is the root. This is the depravity of man. Ever since Adam and Eve exited the garden after eating from the forbidden fruit. And it's what Satan wants. He wants you to fall. He wants you to fail. He wants you to give in and give up and turn into those, those evil desires. And we see it all around us. We see it all around us. That's why the only hope you can have is in Christ. It's not in a politician. It's not in a party. It's not in a candidate. But it is isn't speaking truth. It isn't standing for the truth. It isn't pointing to the truth, no matter the cost. I mean, that's it. That's the simple definition of what it is to be a suspendable. Just standing for the truth. Not standing even for what you believe in. It's standing for the truth. There's one truth. Two plus two is four. It's not five. It's not seven. It's not nine. There aren't 132 different genders. There are two. I mean, it's simple things. We can't just make up whatever we want. And, oh, Steve, you just believe your truth and I'll believe my truth. This is how we get to an America that has turned its back on God, that has forsaken God's law. Guess what? God's law is for today. Go read the Ten Commandments. I mean, let, those, let them be etched on your heart. That's where our system even comes from. It's derived from that law because it's God's natural law. And when... You know, you can actually find a joy in this type of thing. When you suppress your carnal desires, your sinful wants and, and lusts, and, and relish in living for the truth of Christ and, say, and and turning over these desires to him, and and then thus fulfilling the law. It's, a, it's actually a good thing. Anyways, now I'm ranting. Sorry, we're already going long. It's been that kind of a day, man. It's been that it's kind, been that of, a kind of a week. Yeah. It really has. Um but I'm glad you, I'm glad you went there to, to, to close us out here uh, on our, our book study here on part three. Um, you, know, you talked about the Ten Commandments. With the, the seven commandments could clearly be edited. I don't think 
that uh, the days are long before they're going to try to start editing those Ten Commandments, which is why we need to hold fast to the truth, do the suspendable thing. Everyone in the audience, you don't have to necessarily be a uh, earned ex-FBI employee to be a suspendable. You just have to be willing to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, and that makes you a suspendable. So uh, I think that'll close us out today on the book study. I uh, want to make sure Kelly D, she's still got her husband's credit card. Uh, <laughs> she gave us, dropped us a rebel rant and uh, you're the best. She says, great show. Love the rants in the beginning regarding Steve Baker. Thanks guys. And we thank you, Kelly D. And we thank all of you for joining us here today on the book study for Animal Farm. So next Saturday, we're going to take it. We're going to have two more sessions to go. So it'll be uh, chapter seven and chapter eight. We hope that you are reading along. We hope you're enjoying the discussion that we're having and uh, we appreciate your time and attention with us. Make sure you guys have a great and safe weekend. Enjoy yourselves and uh, the American Radicals podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday, Rumble, am, rumble.com slash amradpod at noon Eastern. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, guys. You've been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod. Everybody.